Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. Uh, my name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You can follow me at Mike Dugar. That is M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C-K-I-D-D-206, and that's C-Kidd-206. All right, we're back. Well, at least I'm back uh, from Indy. A uh, very long trip. Uh, had a good time. A lot of networking. Uh, no, you don't get to watch the prospects uh, do any competing, <laughs> if, you're, if you're wondering. You get to watch the bench press, uh, if you so choose. Uh, but we have a special guest uh, who I linked up with uh, in Indy. Does really good work. Uh, his name is Jordan Reed. He's a senior draft analyst for the Draft Network. Uh, Jordan, what up, partner? I'm good. How you guys doing? We good. We good. We good. Uh, glad to have you on. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump right uh, uh right into some stuff uh, here with the the Seahawks. Uh, the Seah- the receiver class is like really, really, really hyped up. You know, everyone's talking about how how great these guys are. Henry Ruggs, you know, Ceedee Lamb, cats like that. Uh, Seahawks aren't gonna pick any of those guys, right? But if they wanted to, you know, get a steal. You know, in the draft, kind of like they did DK, maybe someone later. Is there enough depth in this class where they could do something like that? Yeah, I think there is, and it's not just top-heavy. I know a lot of people are really saying it that way, that this really could be the best class since 2014. Uh, when you had guys like Odell Beckham Jr., Mike Evans, uh, and also Devontae Adams is another guy, Jarvis Landry, some other guys that were in that draft as well. And I think it definitely is comparable to that draft as far as some of the players that you can get at the top, but I think there's a lot of depth throughout it as well and I mean some of the guys that really fit the Seahawks type of mold Antonio Gandy Golden is one guy that really could that you could get in the third or fourth round that I think really could fit their mold as far as that big guy that they like to have and I know they already have that type of guy in DK but if they're looking for another guy that could fit that similar type of mold I definitely think he could fit the billing uh, Michael Pittman Jr. from USC is another guy that definitely is is a person that I think will suit their interests a lot and then Brian Edwards from USC or South Carolina, excuse me, is another receiver that definitely fits the Seahawks type of mold of certain players that they have drafted in years past. Mm. Oh, see, I like that. I like that. I like the Liberty Kid. That's a, that's the Antonio, right? That's Liberty Cat. Yeah. How how, yeah. how do you, how do you do it at the uh, at the combine? Um, he did okay. He ran faster than what a lot of people were thinking he would, and I thought he he performed okay at the Senior Bowl. He's just kind of been okay for the most part. He hadn't really stood out as some of the other guys. But I thought he's done he's done enough to help improve his stock. And with those guys at the top, uh, there was a lot of talk about them, you know, all all week. How did they perform? Did they live up to the billing up in Indy? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you guys saw the catch that CeeDee Lamb made during the on-the-field drills. That was just incredible. And that just that's just a little bit of a snapshot as far as his ability and what he can do and what he can bring to the table. Henry Ruggs, I mean, he was hyped up throughout the entire process running 428. It's just incredible, even though he didn't break John Ross's 422 record. That's still moving <laughs> at a very, very – uh, fast pace. So Henry Ruggs is definitely a guy that a lot of teams are going to have a lot of interest in. And then Jerry Judy, a guy that's my top receiver right now. So I liked everything that they did. I do want to talk a little bit about the Seahawks and this draft class that's going to be upcoming very shortly. They have the 27 pick right now. I'm assuming they don't trade and try to make thing, make changes and get more picks. But let's say they stick to the number 27 pick. Where do you think they need to go? Is it D-line? Do they need to go get a corner? What position do you think they need the most assistance in right now? So I always have trouble predicting what the Seahawks are going to do just because <laughs> they're always the team that's the hardest to project just because 
you never you never really know who's really on their board. And I think it was Joe Fan that came out and tweeted that they only have like 180 players on their draft board, which is fine. I've heard of a number being in that range, but that just goes to show you that they don't really have a huge draft board. So that's what makes things so unpredictable. And then getting LJ Collier last year, a guy nobody predicted would go in the first round, and they did the same thing with Shaw Penny. So their board is always a little bit different than everybody else's. So uh, they could go a little bit off the script, and I think they could go edge rushers because the Ziggy Asa experiment didn't really work out with the one-year deal. And I think they were hoping to get a little bit more out of Clowney than what they got out of him. So maybe getting a guy like uh, Zach Bond from Wisconsin, maybe they could take him in the first round. Yitzhak Grossmatos is another guy that I think they're going to have a lot of interest in as well, the defensive end from Penn State. Uh, Julian Okwara. The defensive end from Notre Dame is another guy that really fits the billing of what they have drafted in years past and the type of body type that they like as well. Well, Chris, I'm glad to hear that. We're not the only ones who struggle to predict what the hell the Seahawks are going to do. <laughs> yeah, the, the Rashad pick came out of nowhere for me, especially yeah. with uh, they already had Chris Carson. I guess he was hurt, but, man, I was just like, yo, where is this coming from? A running back out of all things, but hey, they, it, it, it's working out now, I guess, until he got hurt. Uh, don't tell Seahawks fans that. Uh, <laughs> there's a there's a couple guys. Let's stay with the edge rusher thing here because the Seahawks just had a bad. They somehow had a bad pass rush with with uh, Jaron Reed, Ziggy Ansah, and Jadavian Clowney, which that that seems like that takes effort uh, to do. So I'm assuming they they go after that position in the draft. Two two guys I like. Um, I see picked one of them in like a beat writer mock draft uh, we did. First one is 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 Josh Uche from Michigan. Uh, and then Bradley and I from from Utah. How did how did those dudes uh, perform at the combine? And if if they were a fit for the Seahawks, where would the Seahawks have to like go? Uh, where would they, what pick would they have to use to get them? Yeah, so Uche didn't really do much, and a lot of people were really expecting him to perform fully at his pro day. But at the Senior Bowl, he was absolutely terrific. Nobody could really even stop him. And then what was so unique about him is that he would turn around and he would do pass rush drills, and then the next phase of practice he would go and guard the running backs and the tight ends out of the backfield and then out of the slot which is just phenomenal and that's something that I didn't know that he had in him and even though he played a little bit of Will linebacker when he was at Michigan he didn't do it a whole bunch but he didn't show that type of fluidity on film so he's a guy you can play at Will linebacker but you can also rush him off of the edge a little bit as well just because he's a little bit of an undersized guy he's about six foot one about 240 245 pounds so he's not your typical edge rusher that the Seahawks really like to incorporate in their defense. So I think he he's a different type of piece that they could add uh, in the second round. Maybe that's the target range for them in that area. Um, so maybe he could be had in that area. Um, and then who was the other guy you mentioned? Uh, Bradley Anai, the, uh from, Bradley from Utah. Anai, okay. Yeah, with Anai, he's a guy. He's probably one of the most polished pass rushers in this group. I think his hands are, are well polished and well diverse as far as what he wants to do. Go back and watch him against uh, Austin Jackson in the USC game. I mean, he absolutely obliterated him all game long. And he did the same thing down at the senior bowl. He had two sacks in the game as well. So that just goes to show you of how well and how well seasoned of a pass rusher that he is. And he's another guy that could go on day two. I think he's going to go late day two just because he's not a super explosive type of rusher. But he's a guy you really like to have as maybe a low-end starter or that first guy off of the bench as far as a depth piece. I want to stick with the pass rush. Neville Gallimore. Six foot two, three hundred and four pounds, ran a four seven nine. And I was telling Mike he's just a bigger and faster Puna Ford, which is I didn't know someone could be bigger and faster than Puna Ford when he's already pretty that's scary, big. That's scary. <laughs> what do you what do you think about him and how could he fit in with the Seahawks if they were to land him? I mean, he's probably gonna be gone maybe early, but if he does happen to land with the Seahawks, does that does that seem like a good fit? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think he fits exactly with what they've had in years past as well. You know, the Seahawks are really – the draft board is really predicted or, you know, is based on explosiveness. And that's exactly what Neville Gallimore brings to the table. Now, he didn't do really well in the agilities, but as far as straight line fast, I think he definitely brings that to the table. And, you know, you have guys on explosive on the interior already in point of forward, as you mentioned, and Jaron Reed as well. I think he's in a similar mode. Now, he's not quite as explosive and his upside isn't as great as Reed. But as far as that three-technique position, I think he definitely can bring something to the forefront of that nature. But I think he would be a really good fit in that defense. That's what I like to hear right there. Seahawks, go get this young man. Did you, Chris, did you predict anyone from last year's draft? Yes. Ooh. I had Will Disley. No, no, that was 2018. That was 2018? Yeah, man, we get no. Don't it's do this to me. It's okay, man. Thanks, okay. man. Give us some, give us some thought. I'm a, <laughs> go uh, ahead. <laughs> Seahawks fans, just bear with me here when I ask Jordan this one. I know what you're thinking. I know. The Seahawks haven't drafted a defensive back in the first round since I think Earl Thomas. They, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. Look, bear with me. All right? Just, just <laughs> Let's just hear me out. Jordan, just lie to me real quick and tell me the Seahawks can draft Trevon Diggs out of Alabama. Can you just do that for me real quick? <laughs> <laughs> they definitely can. And oh, the thing there it is. is they, <laughs> the thing is is that the Seahawks, this is like the worst-kept secret about the Seahawks, the threshold for defensive backs arm length is 32 inches. And Diggs definitely surpasses that. And there's some other guys that really surpass that in this draft class as well. So, it wouldn't surprise me if they do end up taking a guy like Diggs, but I don't think the Seahawks really draft defensive backs in the first round. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think they have since. I don't think they drafted a corner in the first round. Pete has ever. I don't think with the Seahawks, and I think the last DB in general they drafted in the first round. I think is Earl Thomas in 2010. So yeah, it's been a little yeah. bit. And then let's let's talk offense. Let's look at the offensive side of things because the Seahawks they could use a little help. A little help? I'm just trying to be nice here, man. How else should I say? They need a lot of help. Offensive tackle needs. Who jumps off the board that the Seahawks could look at maybe in the late first round that they can get and they can get rolling in their offense and hopefully have a pass protection and a solid run game, even though we know they're going to lean more towards the run game? Who do you see fits the mold for that? Yeah, so I think they're going to be out of reach of the top four guys, of course, and Jedrick Wills, uh, Tristan Wirfs, Makai Beckton, and Andrew Thomas. I think they're going to be out of range for any of those guys because I don't expect any of those guys to get out of the top 20. I think that's fair to say. But then you're getting to the second-tier guys who are going to be available. And Lucas Niang is one guy from TCU. Um, don't watch his film from last year just because he was battling a really nasty hip injury, and there are just really some gruesome moments on that to where his technique is really, really bad. But 2018, he had some really good film out there. So Niang is definitely one guy to keep in mind. But I think the guy that's at the top of that second tier is Josh Jones from Houston. There's a lot of excitement about him. And if the Seahawks do want to go tackle in the first round, I definitely think he could be an option there. Well, they're going to have they're going to need it if Jermaine Effetti walks in, in free agency. Honestly, free agency should be after the draft. That's kind of weird. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll stick with, with some draft stuff. The Seahawks like what they have at tight end, uh, to be honest. They have Will Disley, although he's had back-to-back season-ending injuries. They just signed G-Reg, uh, otherwise known as uh, – <laughs> it's, it's just a habit, bro. The G-Reg <laughs> thing is hilarious. Uh, Greg Olson, uh, they just gave a one-year deal, too. So they, they look like they're all right. They like Jacob Hollister uh, as well, former practice squad guy who had some burn last year. Uh, but – Pete Carroll's all about always compete. So uh, if there was, you know, a depth move at tight end, maybe someone late late day two who tested really well or maybe 
early day three who's, who's either a really good run blocker or has really soft hands but super not a great blocker. Is there anyone that like that the Seahawks could grab uh, for depth at that spot? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of them, and I think this tight end class is a little bit better than what it's given credit for, even though none of them really tested overly well what we were thought they were or what was predicted. But I think a guy that could go on late day two, Thad Moss from LSU, mm. is a guy that really is a really good fit. He has a lot of experience as a run blocker just because we know LSU prior to this year, they were known as a ground-and-pound type of team. So during that time, he really got a lot of experience as far as a run blocker. But still this year, their running attack was very good, led by Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and plenty of other backs that they have in that backfield. And if you're not going to be able to get on the field if you can't block at LSU. And that's something that Dad Moss, he, he kept talking about that at the Combine and that. Tight end is a really difficult position to learn just because it's like you're learning two positions in one. You're learning how to be a receiver and learning how to run routes, but you also have to make sure you stay sharp on your run blocking as well. And that's something that he thinks it really works in his favor just because he's not just necessarily just a receiving guy or just a blocking guy. He's really a blend of both of them. So I think he definitely could be a value fit or maybe during the latter portions of day two going on to the early portions of day three. Well, you can't get on the field if you can't block LSU. That's the same thing in Seattle. Well, unless you're Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham, uh, he could get on the field. He was too expensive, though. He was making $10 million a year. You definitely could. You had to put him on the field no matter no matter what. You mentioned my next guy. I love it. I love it here. I want to stick with running back. And, Chris, look, keep this on record. Right? We're recording, right? I think this is – I haven't gotten a pick right uh, since we've been doing this. Uh, this is the one I'm going to get right. I'm going <laughs> to get this one right uh, this year. The running back from LSU, Clyde Edwards, uh, Hilaire, we just talked about earlier. They, they, they shocked us with the Rashad Penny pick uh, in 2018. And I guess in theory, the Seahawks don't have like a super heavy running back need. Uh, but Rashad has a torn knee. CJ Process has a broken arm, and Chris Carson has a fractured hip. So I'm gonna call that need <laughs> here right now. Uh, what about what about Clyde? Could he, if they were to get him? Well, let's start with this. Is he? A, is he? You think he could fit? And if so, uh, where would you know this? Where, where would the Seahawks have to go to get him? Uh, this is really interesting, just because just asking some people about him, opinions are kind of all over the place as far as his draft range. But everybody loves him, so it wouldn't surprise me if he does go in the second round. I think that's a fair range for him just because there's a lot of buzz out there about him just because the one thing he has in his favor and over some of the other guys in this draft is that he's only a one-year starter. So there's plenty of tread on the tires with him. And then what do you always hear about running backs? It's shelf life. These guys rarely see that second contract, and teams really are reluctant or hesitant to pay them that big second-year deal just because once they hit that second contract, they really go bad or teams just become too expensive. And just how with – with how disposable the position is, I mean, you can find running backs at the local gas station. That's how <laughs> the NFL is really turning these guys in and out. So they don't really want to invest super high capital on them. Then they don't. They especially don't want to pay them after that. So getting a guy like a Clyde over Solaire, maybe in the second or the third round, I think that would be a really good pick for Seattle. I think one of these days, Bill Belichick is literally going to get a guy from a gas station. Uh, and and start him, and he's gonna run for like a hundred yards in like the AFC title game. I swear that's gonna happen. The Seahawks sort of did that with Chris Matthews. He was actually working at Foot Locker. Oh, the receiver for yeah, the Super Bowl. Yeah, Super Bowl caught you know two catches, fifty-one yards, a touchdown. If I'm not mistaken, and uh, yeah, you never nah, seen him again. Yeah, he he went off. He went off. Uh, last thing uh, for you, Jordan. The Seahawks are really big uh, on you know backstories. They I want to call that they love struggle stories, but they just like to see examples of a guy overcoming something, whether it's his childhood, something in high school, 
uh, I don't know, injury, something. Uh, I know you did a lot of work just kind of figuring out who guys were uh, during this week in Indy, their backstories, their struggles that they overcame, adversity, things of that nature. Were there any stories or any guys who really stood out to you when you were uh, in researching it and getting to know guys? Maybe not guys like in the top 10, 15 that the Seahawks won't have a chance for. Or maybe anyone after that where you're just like, man, this guy has a really good story. Oh, man, you put me on the spot with this. But, I, you know, I love background stories. And, I mean, there's plenty in this draft. But one that really stands out, his name is Steven Sullivan. He's a tight end from LSU. So what happened with Steven is that he had a really rough upbringing. Both his parents were really involved heavy in the drug game. So he didn't have a lot of guidance growing up. And what happened was his school guidance counselor really saved his life just because he was staying at home back and forth with his parents who were involved. But, of course, they were in and out of the house every week. And there was just some days where he was going without food. So what happened was he played basketball as well. And his basketball coach, actually, he was the one that was feeding him and giving him money just to go places to actually eat out. And so what happened was the basketball coach had to go out of town from time to time. So he had an older brother who he really sees as his role model. And his life was extremely rough. So they had to live under a bridge for weeks at a time, an actual highway bridge from time to time. Yeah, for weeks at a time. And that was the only way that they could survive just because they didn't have a key to the house. And he didn't know where his parents were just because they were so heavily involved as drug dealers. And then with that, what happened was after that, I mean, the, the the guidance counselor really took him took her excuse me took him under her wings and then the basketball coach did the same as well with him and then of course he just left his parents in the rearview mirror and I mean those two essentially saved his life and then he made it to the senior bowl and of course he just kept talking about this after they won a national championship so that's just a terrific story uh, perseverance Stephen Sullivan is just an incredible story wow no i was gonna i was gonna feel bad for putting you on the spot there but that was fantastic that was woo. Yeah. we'll have to put you on the spot more i think yeah uh, that was just <laughs> well i know i I just know that the, the there's so much that goes on more than these guys running and jumping and catching and lifting and stuff like that the, the interviews are really important and sometimes just meeting a kid just hearing a story like that or you know getting to know a kid uh, i don't know how much that shifts like draft boards but i know the seahawks talk about it Every time, if you overcome something like that or a, a knee injury or something catastrophic in your life with your family, uh, how you responded from that uh, is really, really key for the Seahawks, at least. So, man, that was dope, man. Thank you. I put you like Chris said, we got to put you on the spot more often, man. You're going to give us stories <laughs> oh, like that. Oh, yeah, background. Background is what I do, man. I oh. mean, you ask me about a guy, I can probably tell you where you came from. Who was mom and dad, name is, and all that. So, that's oh, what I do. <laughs> we should have we called you before we started recording because me and Chris couldn't figure out half these names. Of oh, these my cats. goodness. That's like everyone just had a bunch of vowels put together in next to their names. Which one, I was, which one, do, you need, which one do you need help with? Who did I, I think I got it right when we were talking. Uh, was it Uche? I said Uche right, right? Yeah. Yes. Uche and then uh, uh, Bradley Anai. Is that my saying that yes. right? Those are the main ones. Okay. See, I'm good. I'm good. I just I get nervous, man, because people mess up my name on like radio shows and stuff all the time. So I never yeah. want to get a kid a kid's name wrong. So that sounds like we did, we we did all right, man. Uh, Jordan, we appreciate you, brother. Um, we really we really do. Uh, let them know where they could follow you on Twitter and and find some of your work. Um, you can find me on Twitter at J Reed NFL. That's at J R E I D NFL. You can also find my work on the draftnetwork.com. We got some good things going on over there. Uh, we have a mock draft machine that everybody loves. So if you love the NFL draft and you like doing mock drafts, you can do seven round mock drafts. And what's different about our mock draft machine is that you're not just drafting players just to say that they're on your team. You can actually read about these guys. And like I just told you about Steven Sullivan, 
he's one guy you can go on the website and read the actual story about. So really cool. Uh, once again, I'm Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at jreednfl. That's at J-R-E-I-D-N-F-L. And you guys, you guys have been listening for a long time. You guys know I'm not a huge draft guy, so I've been using the Draft Network as the, as our Bible. Uh, that and, and Dane Brugler, our guy yes. at the Athletics. So between Jordan and Dane, I'm going to get right. One of these picks I'm going to get right when the Seahawks uh, have their draft. Uh, we want to thank you guys yeah, for listening uh, to the – thing, if you don't mind me adding, um, my draft got to drop on April 10th, so I'll make sure to get both of you guys that. Perfect. Oh, yes. please, please do. Yes. yes. Yeah, we want to be right when we give out who the Seahawks are drafting. There's nothing I love more on this show than being right. <laughs> <laughs> there's, 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 there's nothing more. Uh, I open every show every time I'm right with uh, with with, with uh, just you know getting my getting my praises sang. So uh, thank you guys uh, for listening to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. Again, my name is Mike Dugar. You guys know where to follow me. There's a blue check next to my name on Twitter, so it ain't hard. Uh, Chris, let me know where to follow you. No blue check, but you guys know where to find me at CKIDD206 and that's CKID206. All right, we'll catch you guys later this offseason. We're out.